I'm very glad we're going to have a, a time to pray for uh, our Access for All campaign because uh, you might think, well, what do we have to pray for? Well, well number one, uh, look, we're, we're doing this because we want to open up our campus. We want to help others join with us that as of right now physically are limited. They, they can't do that uh, because of how things are set up. There isn't access to various parts of the building. There aren't access to restrooms and other things. And so we want to make sure that, that we can do that. And so I think we're keeping focus. But more than that, uh, we need to seek God. God's the one who empowers this thing. This is his building. This is his campus. It's not ours. Every resource that we have belongs to him. And, and certainly we're seeking wisdom because, as you know, construction costs, they don't just stay stagnant. They go this way and that way and the other way. And, and uh, we know there are, there are various ways in which there are a lot of teams that are operating to make this project come about from our church family. Each one needs wisdom. Um, and so uh, we're just seeking God in that. And so I love that we're coming together after service to, to go before God. And I just encourage you, take some time and, and join us for that. And let's, let's look and see how God's going to work as he continues to, to bring this Access for All project to come to pass. And when we look back on it, we're going to go, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. And look at the impact that we're having now in this neighborhood uh, because of what he's accomplished. So, um, so be sure to join us for that. I'm, I'm excited about that. When you, when you think about uh, food, and hopefully you're not thinking about food a lot right now while I'm preaching, but you might be, okay? But when you think about food, there are certain kind of foods that kind of make you go, oh, right? They're kind of more exclusive. They're a little more, you know, hoity-toity, fancy. The fanciest thing out right now, and you probably know this, you might not know this, but you might, is uh, the truffle. I've talked to you about it before, but I learned some new things this week about the truffle, all right? The truffle, what is it? Well, it's, it, you might not know, it's this fungus. It's a fungus, okay? It grows on the roots of trees, and there's a few truffle varieties. They're, it's usually found in France or in Spain because the soil and the temperature and da-da-da-da-da, right? You can only get it there. And, and people love to put it on, you know, dishes like pasta or steaks. And, and they're, the truffle, it's like a fickle cousin of the mushroom, okay? And, and, and they're impossible to mass produce. And they have to be dug up individually. And they're typically found by dogs who have learned the scent. And so they kind of, dogs go out, find the truffle, they harvest them. And admirers would contend that the truffle will lose its flavors. It'll start losing its flavor the nanosecond it's pulled from the ground. And so because of that, fresh truffle season is only for a short period of time. And it's so rare and it's so temporarily available that they've basically become the most expensive food in the world. So for example, a Macau casino owner once set a record by paying $330,000 for a 3.3 pound truffle. Yeah, I'm gonna say that again. He spent $330,000. I know, it, it's crazy, I agree. So, the, so this kind of combination of the rarity, you know, that's kind of big and popular, it's so valuable, it, it kind of combines to make this sort of like the, the desired ingredient for everyone's cooking. And so because of that, People have come out with this stuff called truffle oil. You can pick up truffle oil. You may have seen it in the store somewhere. Trader Joe's, if I'm thinking of it, Trader Joe's probably has it, okay? I've, now, I've not seen it there, but it probably has it. I'm going to guess it does. Don't get mad at me if they don't. The point is, most truffle oil does not contain one ounce of truffle. 
What? Well, yeah, think about think of how expensive it is. You know what, what a bottle would cost you if it actually did? It'd be like $5,000 for a little, you know, bottle. No, what truffle oil has in it instead is sort of like this mixture of a compound that essentially imitates the disconcerting smell of truffle. <laughs> That's what it, so it's manufactured. It's some sort of thing. Basically, it's like a manufactured stink sauce that they put in olive oil. And boom, it's truffle oil. And so despite truffle oil's poor source, it's been used and praised by average Joes, by renowned chefs, and it has been a remarkably successful con. The thing is, truffle oil is truffle oil in name only. And, and I have a question for us. Are we Christians in name only? Jesus has a way of bringing us to the answer to that question. As he's going through his teaching in the Sermon on the Plain. And I want to invite you to open or click to or swipe to or whatever you're doing to Luke 6, verses 46 to 49. Jesus has, has chosen his 12 disciples and he has come down into an area where there's a crowd of people. There's a broader group of disciples. There's also a general crowd. And he's been doing miracles. He's been healing people. He's been teaching and as the crowds are there, Jesus has gone through and spoken many things. He's talking about the paradoxes of the kingdom of God, how rich and full is the life of those who are poor in spirit, how, how, how happy are those who mourn over sin. And so people are kind of going, what is he talking about? And then he goes in and he says, I'm going to tell you something of how you live out this kingdom citizenship. One of the first things is going to be this. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to pray for those who persecute you. You're going to give to people who can give you nothing in return. You're going to, you're going to be merciful to unkind, ungrateful people in the same way that your heavenly father is merciful to unkind and ungrateful people. And you're going to reflect your father. You're going to see the world the way he sees it, and you're going to act the way he acts. You're going to be merciful as he is merciful. What does that mean? You're not, you're not going to continue in this life of judgmentalism, of looking down on others with some sort of self-righteous pride because you're you and they're them. You're, you're, you're going to uh, stop following blind religious leaders who lead you into a self-righteous pattern of just doing more and doing more and performing more and performing more and keeping more laws because really they're blind guides. And all these water uh, holes that we see around us, he's speaking there in Palestine, that we look and we say, there's no water here, we dig again, no water here, dig again. Well, guess what? When there are blind leaders that are leading you, you're going to fall into one of those pits. And you're not going to lead others in that way either. You're also not going to walk around with a critical spirit, picking specks out of other people's eyes when you, in fact, have a log in your own eye. You're going to learn how to reflect on yourself before God's holy standard. You're going to understand and live out the reality that good fruit comes from good trees. And you don't pick grapes from a thorn bush. And in the same way, when your heart is changed, it's going to flow out and equal a life of fruit to God's glory. But now Jesus concludes it all. 
And he basically asks a very, very key question and gives a warning and calls us to respond. So because this is the word of God and we want to honor it and receive it as such, would you please stand and follow along as I read? Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to receive your word, that you would confront each of us with this probing question. Lord, do, do we refer to you in this way as Lord? Do we even do so emphatically and yet not follow what you tell us to do? Lord, we pray we would heed your warning. We pray that we would hear and, and, and walk in a way that reflects that we don't want to merely be hearers of the word. We long to be doers as well. And so we pray you would guide us in this as we, as we hear this warning today and that we receive it with our whole heart, that we would glorify you and live in a different way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So if you walk away today with anything, I, I just ask you to remember that when it comes to the words of Jesus, those who hear them and do them enjoy security. Those who only hear them enter catastrophe. Again, those who hear and do them enjoy security. Those who only hear them enter catastrophe. And we're going to examine this in a, in a couple ways. One would be this. There's, there's security to those who come to Jesus, hear his words, and act. Of course, Jesus sets it all up with that confrontive question. You'll notice, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? That, that is emphatic. It's being repeated. These are people who are saying, oh, Lord, you're the Lord. And, and verbally, they express that. To, to call someone Lord is really to call them your ruler, to call them your authority. And so Jesus is going, why, why do you call me that if you're not going to do what I say? And it's possible that even at this point, so early in Jesus' ministry, there would be some that have shown themselves to be false disciples. When you call someone Lord, you're admitting, I'm, I'm, I owe my allegiance to you. And then to repeat it would be, you're saying this, I, I wholeheartedly, fully have my obedience to you. And so you can see Jesus has been doing this the entire time, right? He's showing us pictures of absurdity. Uh, it's absurd, again, for someone to be walking around with a log in their eye and to look for a speck in another person's eye. It's absurd to say, hey, I went to this thorn bush and I was so surprised because there weren't any grapes on it. 
That's absurd. And now he's saying, this is also absurd. To call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say. Because your actions are showing I'm not your Lord. And then he gives a picture and, and he really gives, gives this story of two houses and two builders of these two houses. And, and he begins by, by describing the first person is someone who, notice, comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That's what Jesus is saying. Come to me. Hear what I'm saying. And then act. Take action. Uh, what are they like? This is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. And so when you, when you look at the terrain there in, 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 in the area where Jesus was even teaching, there was sort of what, what people would just call like the hard top, the ground. And it was, it was, it was dirt, but it was packed. And for someone who is building a house, they might actually be tempted to save a little time in building. Because as you look at it, you're going, look, it's perfectly solid. Why go through all the trouble of digging and putting things in to make a foundation when I can get this house up real quick? And I can just start living in the thing. Plus, I'll save a little money. And so there's sort of this way of, of, of that some people would, would uh, short, take a shortcut on the way they were building. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to uh, live that way, you're going to endure this, this cat catastrophe. However, the wise person goes, look, I don't care how this looks. I know it looks like it can support the weight of a house, but I also know that best practices would be to dig down deep. Get down to the rock that's underneath. And uh, this is just reminding me of something I know, uh, you know, as we're looking at adding on here to, to our nursery wing. Um, we have folks here at church who actually deal with geology of all things and do geological surveys for construction. And, and uh, th this person looked up um, our, our area, what we're, what we're sitting on right now. And he goes, you know what? Chris, you guys have built on the rock and that's good. <laughs> all right, so it's a, it's, a good, it's a good thing. Praise God for that. Um, because we don't want to be, you know, Especially when we realize, you know, we're, we're up high right now. Look out that window. It's beautiful, isn't it? But don't look out too long. Don't be distracted. But look out. It's beautiful. We're really up high. But if something were to happen here, it's good to know. And so this has been a practical part of living for centuries. Human beings on planet Earth build structures. And there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. And so Jesus is saying here, you dig down deep and you go to the rock by treating my words a certain way. Notice it's connected to hearing my words. Verse 47. You need to hear my words. Jesus is speaking. But it's not just hearing my words. It's now hearing them and acting on them. That is, in fact, the, the drilling down. And, and that is such an important thing for us to remember. Because, let's face it, the flood's going to occur. Now, now, we might ask, you know, what's the flood occurring? 
What's it talking about? What's it, what's, is he talking about in the end when, when Jesus returns and everyone stands before God's judgment? Or is it like in life when, when, when trials hit you and you're solid and stable in it? You know, which is it? And, and the answer, I believe, is yes. It's both. Without question, Jesus is referring to that time when he will return in judgment and we'll, when we'll stand before him. And, 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 and there's going to be that time of going, okay, what, what, what have I been building on? And have I trusted in Christ? Have I lived for him? If so, I have unassailable security. I think of what Jude says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Now, what's that blamelessness come from? Does it come from how well you happen to perform? Nope. That comes from how well Jesus performed. It's his righteousness that's been given as a gift. But when we receive that righteousness as a gift, what happens? We become different people. Something changes. We're not content just to hear what he said. No, we want to follow him because he's our Lord. And so our desires change. And it's shown in fruit, that, that spiritual fruit Jesus has been talking about. And so what comes out? It's surprising what comes out. I love how Paul describes it in the book of Galatians. What comes out is this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit. I mean, that's, that's something where you're like, wow, you ever, you ever tried to fake love, joy, peace, patience? Now, I'm not talking about one of those dimensions. You can try to fake one of them. But all of them at the same time, Love, okay, maybe joy, sure, peace, that's hard, or patience, okay, come on. <laughs> Gentleness, that's ridiculous. And self-control, I think that becomes pretty obvious. That's all one thing that comes out of a heart that's been transformed. And so we know when that happens, again, that is not what is gaining us our acceptance from God. No, our acceptance comes from what Jesus did. We're rescued, we're justified by faith, we're declared righteous by his act of grace. And yet we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift from God that no one can boast. We've been saved unto good works, which he's appointed for us beforehand. You see what's happening? That's, that's the result. So we don't want to take the, you know, the engine and the caboose and reverse them and put works here and then who we are in Christ here. That's a caboose can't pull nothing, okay? There's no, there's no gas in that thing. But... You put the engine in front, justification, you're standing in, God, in Christ, and then the result of walking with him, that demonstrates that we in fact are his people. And so what happens? We become those who are a witness to others around us, and when that catastrophe hits, we're able to stand firm. When cancer invades your life, when bankruptcy derails your finances, when the death of a friend or family member just, just puts you into a place of, of longing for them so much and they're not there. And these are all real hard trials. But Jesus is saying here, I've got you. But even more so on the great day when we stand before him, he's saying, I've got you. And so we need to live like that. 
The result is inassailable security. Uh, they are actually right now developing, I actually saw an article on this, a flood-proof house. Flood-proof. Now, I'm skeptical, okay? But here's the idea. You've got the house there. You've got these barriers, and the barriers are all waterproof, and they are held up by these massive steel beams that are anchored into a concrete floor, and they're watertight. And the picture they have, and I have no idea if it's a real picture, by the way, these days. Who knows what pictures are real or not? I don't know. But there was the wall, there was the house, and there was like a river out front just swishing right on by. Yeah. That's unassailable security. And so when it comes to the words of Jesus again, those who hear and do them enjoy security. Those who only hear them enter catastrophe. And, and, and that's the, the, the second thing that we want to take a look at. Catastrophe for those who hear Jesus but don't do them. And recognize this is the only difference between the two builders. Both builders were in proximity. Both builders heard the words of Jesus. The one difference between them is one heard and acted and the other heard and didn't act. And so Jesus says, the one who has heard and not acted in verse 49 is like this one who built house on the ground without any foundation. Again, the hard top looks good enough and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. This is a picture of tragedy. That someone could be right there and hear his words and yet not act. And, and, and by the way, again, remember what, how Jesus opened this, this section. They're not just hearing his words. They're calling him Lord, Lord. So this is, this is that kind of a, a walking contradiction. And so this overwhelming catastrophe is, again, when, when those things hit your life, you have no center. And so your life collapses. I think of what James says in, in, in James 1. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's what happens. If you're only a hearer and you're not acting out what you've heard, you're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You are lying to yourself. And worse than that, you're not only lying to yourself, but you're believing yourself as you lie to yourself. I'm dating myself here, but there's a Fleetwood Mac song. It says, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. That's what you're doing. It's exactly what you're doing. But James goes on to say, if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he, for, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. <laughs> it's like you kind of, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. That's, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm over here now. Uh, whatever. And there's this disconnect between who you are and what you're doing. But then James goes on to say, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. There's a, there's a house in Scotland and it was built into a rocky face of a cliff overlooking the Nid Valley. In the year 1770, a, a humble weaver named Thomas Hill left his little cottage and he climbed up this cliff above the manor of his lord, Sir Charles Bart. 
And all he had was a pick and a chisel and a hammer and a desire to build a solid home for his family. And what he did is he began this relentless assault on this sheer wall of limestone. It took him 16 years to hollow out a cleft in that rock. 16 years. But man, what a house. The hill was chipped away at the cliff. He used rocks and rubble to build the outer wall. And finally, he completed this magnificent fortress with spectacular views of the surrounding countryside. And because he was built into the rock, Hill's house was essentially impregnable. Totally solid. It took years of blood, sweat, and toil and tears. But that's what it takes to build a house into the rock. You know, you put a cottage up on a piece of ground, it can take a few weeks. But a rock fortress takes years of patience and perseverance. And, and really, that is this idea of the man who builds into the rock. And the person who forgoes that and says, no, nah, I don't really need that. They are inviting catastrophe. They are almost certainly not thinking ahead. And so that's the thing. The, the parable Jesus gives of the two houses and the two builders, it's not about hearing Jesus. It's about acting on what he says. So how can we know? How, how do you know if, if you are acting on what Jesus says? How can I know? If I'm actually doing those things. Well, we don't have to go far to find out because Jesus has just said all kinds of things in this very sermon. And so you and I, we're, we're acting on what Jesus says. When we're, we're not merely intrigued by the paradoxes of the rich, full life described from Jesus. The blessed for the, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those things don't just kind of intrigue us. No, they become deeply ingrained in our hearts. They are actually the way we see our life in this world as kingdom citizens. We know we're acting on what Jesus says when we're not merely fascinated by his command to love our enemies. But when instead we are actually and actively loving them, when we are in fact praying for people and seeking the best for people who personally insult and scorn us, who hurt us, especially when they hurt us because of our walk with Jesus. It means we're going to regularly give to others time, money, clothes, food, expecting nothing back from them at all. Because we want to pour out mercy in the way our God, Father pours out mercy. As he does so to ungrateful and evil people. We want, to, we want to see the world the way he sees it. And we want to act the way he acts. We know that we're doing what Jesus says when we stop engaging in judgmentalism. And begin forgiving others. And living a winsome life before unbelieving neighbors and friends. We know that we're doing what Jesus says when we stop following false teachers who proclaim a twisted gospel. And instead, follow only those teachers who proclaim the once for all delivered to the saints faith. Those who proclaim the good news of Jesus, ounce for ounce, pound for pound, nothing more, nothing less. And in doing so, teaching others the same around us. We know that we're doing what Jesus said, that when we deal with other people's shortfallings and sins in a way... That demonstrates we are well aware of the log in our own eye before we go up to take the speck. And it affects the way we approach them. It affects our tone in approaching them. It affects our goal in the way we approach them. Because it's not about us being right. 
because there's so much wrong with each of us, and yet we love them and we want to help. We know we're doing what Jesus says when we recognize our problem with our words is not a problem with our mouths, but a problem with our hearts. When we understand that growth and change don't come from the outside in, but instead flow from the inside out. You don't need a New Year's resolution. You need a new heart. And you might be asking right now, well, how do I get a new heart? Well, Jesus tells us right here. He says, he says, come to me. Hear my words and act on them. He puts it this way in the, in the Gospel of John. He says, believe in me. In other words, place your trust in me. Turn away from what you've been relying on, whether it's prestige or some kind of job or sex or money or self-righteous religion. That's a very potent way, by the way. Very powerful drug, self-righteous religion. Turn away from those things and turn to me instead. In John 7, matter of fact, I want to encourage you, go ahead and, and turn to this. John 7, verses 37 to 38. You can open to that. They're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and it's, it's the last day. They call it the great day of the feast. And in this moment of the feast, there's a, um, a way in which water was poured out before the Lord as a, as a thank you to him. So there's these large basins of water. They would pour it out and they would say, thank you, God, for the, for the rains and for the harvest. That's what they're doing in, during this feast. And so at that moment, when they're visually, everyone's seeing these large containers being poured out in an offering of thanks to God, Jesus cries out. And what does he say? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What's he talking about? That's the new heart. That's what happens. You see this massive amount of water being poured out and you're looking at, you're in the arid, dry place like Palestine and you're thirsty. And Jesus is saying, if you want to really drink, if you really want to drink something that's going to satisfy you, there's all kinds of things in the world that say, drink this and it'll make you so happy. And Jesus is saying, no. Come to me and drink. And believe in me. And what happens? Something, you get a new heart. Something on the inside changes. And now what happens is rather than you going everywhere else trying to fill yourself with drink, whether it's to inebriate yourself or to satisfy yourself or whatever it would be, rather than doing that, you have inside of you now the Spirit of God and the Spirit living within you causes you to overflow with living water. And by the way, there's all kinds of Old Testament imagery Jesus is referring back to when he states that. He's talking about the rock in the wilderness when Moses struck it and living water flowed out of it. He's referencing back to Isaiah when Isaiah says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
If you want actual satisfaction and real food, why are you spending money on what isn't really bread? Listen to me. And by the way, that listen there in Isaiah 55 means hear and obey. So hearing and doing are compacted into one word in Hebrew. Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Listen that you may live. Isaiah will say this in chapter 58, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters don't fail. So if, you, if you're saying, how do I get a new heart? It, it, it's turn to Jesus, admit your need for forgiveness, trust him, trust in his life in your place that he kept the law as you never could. Trust his death in your place that he took God's wrath upon himself that you deserve. And believe that he rose from the dead because he did. There's more than enough eyewitness testimony more, more than enough histor historical data to demonstrate that without a shadow of doubt. Believe on him, trust in him, and you will be saved. And he will give you a new heart. And he's calling you now and saying, trust in me today. Or you can just hear his words if you want. You can make that tragic choice. You can just hear his words. But if you do so, Jesus describes your life as, as, as that house catastrophically collapses in the torrent of flood. Looking something like this. This is what Jesus says. If you're just going to listen to him, and you're not going to act, you are choosing to make your life this. You're saying, this is what I want. I just want to hear your words, Lord. I don't want to follow them. And that is catastrophic loss. Because when it comes to the words of Jesus, those who hear them and do them enjoy security. Those who only hear them enter catastrophe. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you would work in ways above and beyond our ability to grasp for each of us. And Lord, we ask the we would be those who hear your words and obey them and follow them because you really are our Lord. We thank you that, that we don't do that in order to secure your love for us. We don't do that to secure our, our righteous standing before you. We don't do those things to secure your acceptance of us. We thank you that Jesus and his work on the cross and his finished work of righteousness is our hope. 
And yet, we also understand that if we really receive this gift of grace in the gospel, we're going to live in a different way. So Lord, help us to heed your warning. Help us to truly hear your words and act on them and enjoy that unassailable security in Christ. And please, Lord, let us never be those who merely hear and, and don't do what you've said. We would pray that there would be many even today who would turn to you and know what that life in you looks like, that they'd experience that and that they would be spared from the catastrophe that comes when you're merely heard but not followed. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.